Hello and welcome back to the Paradox Podcast. I'm here with Jasmine Bilbao. Jasmine, how are you? What's up? I'll take that as an answer for my question. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Great. We're already off to a great start. Uh, we have finished part three of four in this Era of Queens series. Next week, mm-hmm. we have Reverend Dr. Jen Strickland joining us, who's going to talk about David and Nathan's confrontation. Um, but we are looking back and talking a little bit about behind the scenes of the story of Bathsheba and Midnight's. So we did that last week. Jasmine sang backup. How was that experience singing backup for you this time, Jasmine? Um, it was so fun. I felt like I was, you know, on tour. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we aim for here at Paradox. If, yeah. we, if you feel like you're on tour as part of the staff here at Paradox, we're really doing our job well. Yeah. Um, so we have not talked about this yet. We're doing this a little bit different than the previous two podcasts. Mm-hmm. What did you experience with the whole service on Saturday? Um, well, I feel like this one just came together like so well um and I was thinking about like how how this one kind of came to be with Midnight and uh I remember because Midnight's came out a year ago actually on Saturday the day that we did it oh wow so we did not plan that intentionally or did we well you might have you might have manipulated me which I will put in play but yes I did not know that (laughs) but so it came out a year ago and I remember listening to the album and when bigger than the whole sky came on I was like oh my gosh this is such a paradox song and um we have to do it somewhere so I remember sending that to you and you were like I'm bawling my eyes out (laughs) or something like that and we kind of just kept that in the back of our minds. And then um, you had talked about like doing the three queens and um, Bathsheba losing her child. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that's perfect. Um, but we didn't really like plan out the rest of the songs that well nope. <laughs> yet. I don't think it was like really flushed out until last week. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I just loved seeing it all come together and Midnight's is definitely a different vibe than Evermore and Folklore. Yes. But I think it was perfect for Bathsheba and her story. Yeah. And it felt very Game of Thronesy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, it's been a year now, so I have a slightly different memory. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm open to you being completely right <laughs> and me being com- completely wrong because that's how things go often in my life. Um, my memory is Midnight's came out and we were talking about it in the office because it was obviously yeah. a big day, particularly for you. Yeah. <laughs> but I listened to it through and I thought that you asked me what my favorite song was uh-huh. and I said bigger than the whole sky. Mm. And then you said there's a rumor online. Yeah. The Swifties are reading into it and they're saying this is about a miscarriage. Yeah. Obviously, there's no confirmation or denial from Taylor Swift on this. This is just people speculating based yeah. on the lyrics. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then I went back and listened to it. And then I texted you and said, like, I'm bawling my eyes out now because it was so moving in that context. Yeah. Um, Once again, though, it could have definitely happened the way that you remembered it. Um, And then uh, a year later, I remember we were talking about it. And instantly we thought, okay, bigger than the whole sky has to go with Bathsheba because she loses her child. And I said, we'll figure out the rest. I had no idea what else Midnight's would provide because I don't feel like as endeared yeah. To that album as the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, uh, 
I've grown to appreciate it more doing yeah. this this service in particular. Yeah. Um, but it was very much a this song will be in it and we'll figure out the rest. Yeah. I think that one is the album that we changed around the most. Yes. We almost tried like every other song combination. Yeah. yeah and we, I originally proposed the song Vigilante and you felt like we couldn't get around all the swearing yeah. in it. Uh-huh. Um, and so we had, had anti-hero in that place for a while until I talked to Carla who was like, I feel like we should do Vigilante. And then we went back and listened to it and we felt like it was better once Carla had provided that perspective too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I knew Lavender Haze and Bigger Than the Whole Sky are my two favorite songs on the album. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to figure out if we could incorporate that. And it seemed like the right song for that whole love scene or mm-hmm. lack of love scene, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Um, and then uh, Midnight Rain. I remember I told you, um, Jasmine, I need a song where Bathsheba kind of is okay with being married to Uriah, but not really. And it took you about four seconds to say Midnight Rain yeah. is my memory on that one. Yeah, I, I remember you said that. And I was like thinking, is he trying to be funny? Because that, that song is literally exactly what it is. I was not. I was trying to be biblical. <laughs> only answer there. Um, and then uh, Mastermind seemed to work. We were going to have it a little bit more originally where she kind of controlled the whole mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. But we shied away from that. The The big thing that we talked about, though, was really emphasizing that part at the end of her life when she gets the most lines. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she's really in charge in the whole situation mm-hmm. when Solomon rises to the throne, which I don't think most Christians yeah. or people who study this part of scripture uh, talk about or acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that part of her life is so much smaller than you know her bathing and that should not be the case (laughs) yeah and i i i texted you and i said the emotional range on this story is quite remarkable Mm -hmm. i mean you think about revenge and anger and grief and um humanity and all of those things in between like it was a lot to cover within the time that we had Mm-hmm. Um, which is partly why it took so long to do the whole thing. Uh, that was the most I've ever prepared for a sermon as far as a number of slides. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it was like 320. I just wow. felt like I was making slides all week um, because there was so much that was in there and so mm-hmm. much that we had to talk about and all of that. So Yeah, you, you heard it here first. The number one slide is <laughs> <you> this <laughs> one. So um, what did you feel about the artistic liberties that we took? We talked about them quite a bit before, but how do you feel like they played out and paid off or didn't pay off? I think that um, the way that we painted Bathsheba was a very realistic way. Um, We were talking about it beforehand, not wanting it to be, um, what was it, how you said it before? Like, like you didn't want to talk about Bathsheba and David, um, in the beginning, like, like she was actually in love with him. It was more like coercion. Mm. Um, and I feel like that's a very realistic reality for a lot of people. Um, and like, it's so easy to kind of be blinded by like your fantasies and everything that you hope for and dream for. And then you get yourself in a situation where you look back and you're like, oh, did I really, did I do that to myself? Was I able to not go in that direction? Or like, how did this all happen? 
you know, and it's kind of like that realization after the fact. And you look back and say, oh, wow, that was way more obvious than I thought it was in the beginning. Um, and I think that that happens to a lot of people. Um, and it's not to make her seem like, like, oh, she had this political agenda from the very beginning and she knew that, like, she had to sleep with David and do all of this and that. But it's just that she experienced it in real time and reacted to it in real time. And that is what happened. And I really liked how it was her learning that there's a game to be played mm. because that's the reality of a lot of situations. Um, it's all about like, it's a knowledge race. And like the more, you know, and the more you know about the game and how to use it to get your way is how you will be successful. And I know it sounds like really bad and manipulative, but it is kind of how the world works. Well, and it's okay to say with the Bible, like that was a more barbaric time. Yeah. Or a more, um, a more vicious time even, mm -hmm. or inhumane time. Yeah. Um, and that was something that was interesting to walk the line as the person telling this story. Mm -hmm. Because in my opinion, she's got the blood of Adonijah on her hands. Yeah. For not like helping him or, or stopping him from requesting mm -hmm. Abishag, the, the concubine. That being said, she survived. Yeah. And like that was the way to survive was you didn't show mercy for stuff like that. Yeah. And so that's where I really tried to hammer home the whole idea of totally fine if you want to condemn Bathsheba mm -hmm. for acting immorally by manipulating an old man yeah. and also by um, having the blood of Ab Ab um, Adonijah on her hands. Mm -hmm. That being said, if you do condemn her, you have to condemn David. Yeah. There's no in between there. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's the way it goes. But that's the world that she lived in. And yeah. I mean, that's a lot of the book of first and second Kings is who's betraying who and mm -hmm. who's trying to survive. And it's not a pretty thing. And she participated in the game. You know, I can see a pretty clear line from her story to that kind of jadedness. Yeah. Um, she may have had that jadedness before, mm -hmm. but um, for me, the story makes more sense if she didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And a big contribution that you had was you talked a lot about, um, tapping into or you encourage me to, to tap into the whole idea of like if God wills this to happen mm -hmm. then it will yeah which was very much the theology of the day mm -hmm. um and it made sense for her marrying Uriah and her disillusionment with that mm -hmm. and as you talked about kind of tapping into what it is that she wanted and her desires with the sexual coercion mm -hmm. and once you said that and and brought that idea into this story then it was very much like, a, oh, David is an ancient Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. And we can see how this plays out in the same kind of way, mm -hmm. where there's this promise of all the things that you want. Yeah. Even though there's either a follow through or not a follow through, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. It's still coercion in the way that it's, it plays out. Yeah. Yeah. So although that is an artistic liberty um, that we took was her understanding of the whole situation, I feel like... Um, it like going back to Abigail and Michelle, they, you know, were on this journey and then they realized the game. And I think Bathsheba just realized it a little bit sooner. So I think that it kind of made sense with all the storyline. Like she had to realize at some point, there's no way that she just stumbled upon being this political success. Yeah. yeah. Like, so she learned along the way and she just did, how um, her life was going to be. 
And I think she just realized it a little bit sooner than Michelle and Abigail did. And that is why she did everything that she did. So I think that it's a very valid artistic liberty. I think the biggest artistic liberty we took in all three services was David promising divorce. Mm. I think that was the biggest one. Yeah. And I felt like it was justified because no matter how you read the text, the abuse that takes place is sexual coercion. Yeah. And to give it more of a dialogue rather than just being like um, uh, uh, an unforced forcing. Yeah. (laughs) uh, I, I picked that kind of language around it because I could see him saying I have the priest on my side and the priest has already agreed even Mm -hmm. though she never hears the priest say it yeah um and for him to be God's anointed and saying that divorce is okay all of a sudden would really confuse her Mm -hmm. um given the whole theology of the day yeah and so that was the biggest artistic liberty I think we took in all three weeks and it was to really try to bring um, some humanity yeah. and realism to the abuse of sexual coercion. Yeah. Well, these women really valued their previous marriages. And in that time, it was very like sacred to be in a marriage. And when you look at it from their perspective, they actually don't know about the other women until they're actually they're in the harem. Yeah. So um, to all their understanding is that, you know, they... He, he will get a divorce and there'll be his one and only. And then they find out that's not the case. Yeah. yeah. So what was the moment during this last service that really impacted you emotionally between the story and the song? Like what, what stands out to you when you look back on last Saturday's service? I think what stood out to me was her realizing the game that she was in and what she had to do to survive. And especially when she was pregnant, it wasn't just about herself at that point. It was how can I live and my child live Mm -hmm. and us to have fulfilling lives and not be like thrown out by David because she realized her situation and she can't go back anymore. Um, But what can I do to keep living and be important and not just like David will get bored of me. Yeah. yeah. So I think that kind of realization was just um, important to me um, because it was a it was more of a selfless act. Like yes, she was thinking about how she could be successful, but ultimately it was for her child and her future children. Mm. So I think that that was very. Um, powerful nice for me i felt all sorts of goosebumps on bigger than the whole sky yeah like i thought carla just nailed it i was talking to andrew who played guitar Mm -hmm. uh after the set and he said well it's kind of built like a praise song so it's really easy for us to get it right (laughs) (laughs) um but just hearing those lyrics in connection with the story yeah and even though it's separated by 3000 years and language barriers and religious barriers and mm-hmm. all kinds of other things. Yeah. There is something still so timeless about those lyrics mm-hmm. from Taylor Swift to the experience 3000 years ago of a mother losing a child. Yeah. That um, is really, really beautiful and moving to me. Mm-hmm. So that was number one. Number two surprised me, but it was the vigilante song yeah. and how well that captured 
the stakes of the game and kind of the dawning and realization Mm -hmm. of all that Bathsheba had to do going forward. So those two moments really, really stuck out to me. Yeah. I really liked Bigger Than the Whole Sky. It felt so emotional and raw, which I think is a realistic uh, portrayal of how she felt. Yeah. Well, I've come up with a fun game for us to play. And I've asked our Taylor Swift scholar in residence, which is Jasmine, to come up with five questions for me about my experience of working with Taylor Swift songs very um, closely (laughs) over the last couple of months here. And I've come up with five questions for Jasmine about her experience of hearing these stories about the three different queens in scripture. And we're going to go back and forth with these five questions and hear each other's answers about our experience. We haven't seen these questions ahead of time, and we'll go from there. So I'm going to start with Queen Michelle. Jasmine, Mm -hmm. which of the following moments did you feel had the biggest emotional impact on you in her story? Loving someone who didn't love her in return, standing up for what is right and getting punished for it, or waiting for a lost love to return? I think standing up for something and then getting punished for it, it's such a deep feeling where you think that oh if I continue to do all the right things then I will um I will reap the benefits in the end and as much as you think that it doesn't always happen um and that's why there's so many you know songs and movies about it but it's so hurtful because it's not only betrayal from the other party but you kind of feel like you betrayed yourself with all these idealistic um, thoughts in your head and you're like convincing yourself that just keep doing the right thing, just keep doing the right thing. Like you will see a happy ending in the end and everything will be great. And you keep telling yourself that to keep on doing the right thing. And then when you get to that point, you're like, well, what is this all for? Yeah, it feels a bit more like a dull thud. Yeah. And I, I think that that's one question that this series has raised that's really worth talking about in 2023, mm-hmm. which is how do you celebrate the the heroes or the people who should be celebrated when their story ends in a pretty sad or dark place? Yeah. And that's why I kept going back to that refrain of, you know, David's bad behavior doesn't get to determine her worth. Mm-hmm. David's bad behavior doesn't get to determine her worth. And I, I kind of laugh because... I thought about Michelle's story and how she had all three of those experiences about loving someone without being returned, standing Mm -hmm. up for what's right and getting punished and longing for a lost love. And those are real human experiences that we all still feel today. Yeah. And we don't talk about her story enough, even though that's all contained within one story. Yeah. So that's one thought I had on it. So what about you? What's What's a question you have for me about the Taylor Swift experience? Yeah. What was your relationship with Taylor Swift before and how has it changed? Great question. So uh, it started with feeling like she was a country star mm-hmm. and that changed at 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, and 1989 came out and I heard the melody line of Shake It Off with Over the Drums. And I thought, who is this indie artist or whatever? <laughs> and somebody said it was Taylor Swift. And 
SNL at that time did uh, a great sketch called Swiftamine, mm-hmm. which was medicine you could take if you realized that you liked a Taylor Swift song to cure yourself from it. And that was 100% me with 1989. Yeah. And then I started liking it more and more. I started listening to 1989. Um, and we did Blank Space actually at The Shadow mm. for the sermon on Thou Shalt Not Commit Adultery. Mm. Um, I'm still not sure the connection of that, but we made it work <laughs> back then apparently. <laughs> or we didn't. I'm not sure. Uh but then uh, Reputation came out, and I still to this day think that Reputation has the best five songs in a row, mm-hmm. f- which is song one through five. It starts yeah. with Ready For It and ends with Delicate. I think that's my favorite stretch of five consecutive Taylor Swift songs on mm-hmm. any album. Um, and I really like that. The rest of the album, I just it just keeps going. Uh, <laughs> and then I think Lover was after Reputation, right? Yeah. I didn't resonate with that album at all. Mm-hmm. Like I like the, the Dixie Chicks song. Soon you get better. Uh, yes, I like that one, and that was about it from that album. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, I had my Taylor Swift phase. It's time to move on or whatever, right? And then Folklore came out, and yeah. she did it with Aaron Dessner of The National, and mm-hmm. I love The National. And all of a sudden, I was listening to these songs, and I was like, this is her best album by mm-hmm. far for me, anyways. Mm-hmm. And then Evermore came out shortly after that, and it was just those two albums. I said, I don't care if it's Taylor Swift or not. These are two of my favorite albums, mm. period. Um, and then Midnight's came out. It leaned a lot more into the computer. I'm always a guy who likes more drums, bass, guitar, piano. Yeah. And so Midnight's was something I kind of, I was like, okay, it's nice. I really resonated with Bigger Than the Whole Sky, as we talked about Mm -hmm. earlier. But the rest, I just thought it was a lot of computer beats. Then we started doing these songs. And we tried to do this first and foremost with the stories of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it was really forcing a boulder uphill for me because it's Jesus doesn't have a lot of romance in the story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it didn't really work with a lot of things. And then once we started putting these songs with the stories of the Queens of David, I felt like also these songs had a real depth to them that I had previously missed Mm -hmm. um, because I was spending so much of the time reading the stories and like putting myself in the empathy of these stories of these women. Mm-hmm. And I started to realize how deep and well-written and really how how emotional the lyrics were in yeah. like the best way possible. Mm-hmm. And so I have been listening to her since we finished this series or since we finished this part of the series, I should say. And so much so that my wife um, got in the car yesterday as I was listening to Taylor Swift and she said, wait, are you a Swifty now? And I said, well, I kind of built my whole professional life around it the last three months. So I guess I would be qualified as that. (laughs) So I don't know if I actually qualify. I've never seen her live or anything like that. So I don't know what the qualifications are, but uh, I've really enjoyed her music a lot more since being part of this. Well, I would say that you can identify as a Swifty. So, you you know, welcome. High compliment. (laughs) It's great here. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Well, thank you for welcoming me in. All right. The next question for that I have for you is David runs a protection racket against Abigail and Nabal. Mm-hmm. And this is what the mafia does. It's what bullies do. Yeah. Abigail and Nabal have a conversation. It doesn't really happen in the Bible. We imagined it mm-hmm. in our retelling of it about whether or not they should cowtail to, um, to David's requests and demands mm-hmm. or if they should stand strong. Nabal feels that they should stand strong whether Abigail agreed to it or not is in, not in the text. What we do know is that Abigail then went under the cover of darkness and gave the bully, gave the mafia everything he wanted. Mm-hmm. Do you feel 
that Abigail was courageous, cowardly, naive, or something else for giving in to David's demands? I would say that, I mean, I think that what she did is is valid for the situation that she was in and the knowledge that she had. But I think that she was a little naive and not realizing what she was dealing with um, because she knew that David was powerful, but I don't think she fully knew what it meant to do that and to go behind the ball and meet with David um, on the side. And that's kind of how she got herself into her situation because she like kind of just tripped into a black hole that is David. <laughs> so I think that if um, also like women in those times, to my understanding, didn't really have that deep of a understanding of politics and that whole world. So I think that I, I can imagine Nabal saying like, oh, like it doesn't matter. You don't really need to worry about that. And she's curious as to why, like, why, why can't we do this? Like, I don't understand. And he is kind of just like, it's, it's fine. I will handle it. And so she kind of, with her knowledge that she does have, she decides to do what she thinks is best. Mm -hmm. And I think she quickly realizes that that was not the best thing to do. Yeah, I think naive is the word I would pick. What's funny is she may have saved a lot of lives by doing that, even mm -hmm. if it ended up with her husband dying. Yeah. Because David didn't declare all out war and destroy them, right? Mm -hmm. So it's possible that in her naivety, she actually saved a lot of lives. Yeah. That being said, it's a lose-lose situation, as it is with most bullies, mm -hmm. because they're the ones who run this whole racket. Yeah. And it's like, well, somebody's got to die. It's like, mm -hmm. well, I didn't ask for this, yeah. <laughs> David. So um, I, I think that the, the conversation about how you should respond to bullies is always an interesting one, mm -hmm. and it requires a lot of nuance. But for me, when I read the story, it's Abigail going there thinking, I can, I can calm this guy down. I can help us avoid war. Yeah. And even though I believe it ends up with her husband being murdered, mm -hmm. I don't know if she would do it again, but that's, I can find that thread in the story. So I agree. Like naive is the word that jumps off, to, uh, jumps out the page to me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Question number two about Taylor Swift. Okay. So we have a lot of people that wouldn't consider themselves necessarily Swifties, but they really liked the songs that we were doing and the stories that we were telling. Why do you think that these songs written by Taylor Swift in in this day and age are still applicable to these stories from 3,000 years ago? Great question. I think that whenever Taylor Swift sings about the human experience, there is going to be a connection between what is written in scripture. Mm-hmm. And it may not always connect, you know, one-to-one, -one, right? And it's not like one song will connect with every story, right? Yeah. And we were very choosy about the songs that we had. We did not play the hits by any means, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. We did not say, okay, we're doing Midnight's, we got to do Karma. Yeah. And we got to do Bejeweled. Yeah. Because it didn't really fit. Mm -hmm. And so if you are willing to listen to the story and empathize, Taylor Swift's 
catalog is so vast that you can usually find a song that matches with that human experience. Mm -hmm. Now, if she'd only written one album, this would be really hard yeah. to try to match songs with all of these things. But she's written, I, I, her career is like 17 years or something, right? Yeah. So 17 year career, she's written 10 albums and those albums are not short albums. <laughs> they are very <laughs> long albums. Uh, you can usually find something that connects there. And what I often, or what I, what I really believe about Jesus is that Jesus Christ is an invitation into the full human experience, the full spectrum of the human experience. Mm. And if that's true, then that includes a lot of what Taylor Swift is singing about. Yeah. So you can usually find a connection there. Mm -hmm. And yes, some songs will connect better with some stories. But mm. at the end of the day, anytime we're talking about what it means to be human, you're talking about since we are made in the image of God you're talking about what it means to be in relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Question number three on the three queens that we've talked about. We talked about the story of Bathsheba more than the other two because there was a lot of nuance required to talk about the abuse that happens in that story. Mm -hmm. In particular, when I talked with you and with Carla, there was this real, um, what's the right word to say? <laughs> frustration mm -hmm. with sermons or teachings you had heard about this story before. Mm. And I want to know what those majority of those sermons or teachings taught you about the story of Bathsheba and why did you and why do you think Carla felt so strongly that we need to tell her story in a different way? Yeah. Um, well, I think that the story of Bathsheba has time and time again been she's bathing and David sees her, wants her, and she's so happy to be wanted by the king. And it never really sat right with me, um, this whole like, oh, I have a good life, but if a king wants me, then sure. And especially like she's bathing, so he's, you know, viewing her as an object. And I don't think that she wanted to be just another one of his wives or in his harem that you know he saw from time to time I think she wanted to be a wife for someone and she wanted to be like loved and to love them so I think when we hear that story whereas David is the main character it kind of um it kind of characterizes Bathsheba as like just a pawn or an object that you know we can have sit there and be pretty and I feel like that just doesn't apply to my life and that's not like that's not how I feel so it just didn't feel like that kind of story was was for me or directed towards me um, because I couldn't relate to her in a in a way that we mm. we made her relatable yeah, and we were talking, I think this was your idea, but you were, I think you suggested that when we talked about her bathing, when David like leans in close and says, I saw mm -hmm. you bathing and I knew we were supposed to be together, that she didn't really remember when she bathed. Was yeah. it that morning? Was it the day before? Yeah. Um, I thought that was a really nice touch that you contributed to the story mm -hmm. because it's not like when we bathe, we think like, okay, I bathed today at this time. And in this way, yeah, <laughs> like it's usually a mundane event that yeah. we don't pay attention to. Yeah. So well, that and was it's a big not like 
Yeah, thank you. Um, it's And it's not like she thought, oh, I'm going to bathe here so that King David will see me and want me, you know? And I kind of think that that story led to that. It was like hinting at that, like she wanted mm-hmm. it that to be, uh, she wanted it to be that way. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that that was the reality. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Question number three from Taylor Swift. Okay. Experience. So what was your favorite from the three weeks, um, a song and story pairing? What hit home the most for you? All right. I'm going to give you the nominees from okay. each okay. week and then I will pick one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Bigger Than the Whole Sky with Bathsheba's story mm-hmm. is, is number one for me in that service. Um, when it comes to Folklore and Abigail, I really liked – oh, man, that's hard to decide – I the the one that jumps in my brain right now is Mirabal mm-hmm. with Abigail because that set up her whole character and people really related with that character. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Exile the best from that set, but it, that was the ending. It wasn't really part of the story, so yeah. I'm gonna go with Mirabal as the nominee from uh, Folklore, and then I would go with Tolerate It from. Uh, Evermore and Michelle's story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as far as just the song tying into the story, whew, those are some pretty good nominees. I would just have to go with Bigger Than the Whole Sky mm-hmm. because I just feel like Bathsheba's grief in this story has been so overlooked for yeah. so long. And David gets eight verses, she gets zero. And we, at least as a church, spent five minutes grieving with her, mm. which is more than I've ever heard anyone talk about or give credit to. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard some people say like she grieved too or something like that, but it's always an aside in light of David's grieving. Yeah. And to bring that to the focus or to the front of all of this, mm-hmm. I feel like was my favorite moment because it's something that's so tragically overlooked and yet is a very human experience Yeah. for anyone who's had an infant death in their life mm-hmm. or had a miscarriage. Yeah. Yeah, that is something that stood out to me in her story was just that how much she grieved. And I've never heard that take on her before. Yeah, and I wanted to keep that. That part was way shorter than all the other ones Mm -hmm. because I wanted the song to speak so much more to it. Yeah. And I tried my best to set it up. Mm -hmm. But when I was laying it out, I thought, okay, this one just has to be four slides. has to be very simple. We want it so that people feel like um they they feel like they're there and the song is going to do the emotional weight of this yeah yeah i really feel like it was that emotional weight it's great all right question number four after spending three weeks telling these stories how has your picture of david changed oh that is a good question i feel like i know a lot of stories about david Um, But I didn't really feel that emotionally connected to him. I mean, he's just a guy with a lot of wives that's king. You know, I'm not any of those things. (laughs) So his life were kind of just stories to me that I've heard over and over again. And there have been limited times where I've thought critically about his life. Um, That's why I've loved this series so much because... Um, talking about his wives, it feels way more relatable to me than David's life has ever been. And I think 
us really making them be humans and have have background and have conflict it felt so real um like I was their friend and I think that that is how the Bible should be experienced like relatable to your own life and it's like talking with a friend instead of reading a textbook Mm. Mm. and I loved I think it was this past week when you said about um holding Bodhi and Maya and you could just say like oh it's just you know holding six pounds 11 ounces and then you said something about like the bible should be felt instead Mm -hmm. of just like read line by line and at that point me and Carla looked at each other and we're like whoa that was deep (laughs) try you guys have heard a lot of sermons so it's it's hard to keep coming up with new stuff for you (laughs) but a lot of that was hammered home by my old testament uh, or Hebrew Bible professor, Wendell mm-hmm. Kim. And he just stressed the humanity so much of scripture. Yeah. And I was like, well, if we do that, we're going to devalue scripture. Mm-hmm. And that was at the beginning of seminary. It's the first class I took. And mm-hmm. I found that I've only valued scripture more. I read yeah. it much more closely mm-hmm. looking for the humanity than I did when I was memorizing verses. Yeah. Well, and then even me talking to my family members and friends about these stories that we've been doing, I can recall things so much better, like the yeah. details, because I I remember them connected to the songs. I remember them connected to my own experience. Whereas like if you told me to memorize or tell you a scripture, like first and second Samuel, have it memorized and tell you, I couldn't even start. <laughs> and I think that's really important for Christians going forward Mm -hmm. is if they can tell you what the book of Colossians is about yeah rather than quoting a random verse yeah that is much more valuable (laughs) yeah as people who are living as Christians today Mm -hmm. because if you know what Paul's thesis statement of Colossians is then that goes a lot further than saying well there's that one verse that says this thing about that Mm mm-hmm yeah. And what's funny is I play um, Bible trivia with my mother-in-law. It's a way we bond. She's a bit more conservative than me, but I love her to death. Um, the way the way we bond is we play Bible trivia because she knows her Bible very well, mm-hmm. right? She wipes the floor when it comes to me, <laughs> like when, when we're playing on all the all the categories that are memorized Bible verses. Mm. Like she knows them all. <laughs> and she's always shocked that I don't. And then the reason why is I don't spend time memorizing verses because yeah. I haven't found it to be helpful. Yeah. Um, I know that she's found it to be very helpful in her life, and I would encourage her to mm-hmm. keep doing that. Yeah. But that's one where she just can't believe that I don't know these verses and have them memorized. And it's because I try to emphasize what is the larger book trying to say. Yeah. Well, then as I've grown up, I've had more and more friends that don't have the church background that I do. And um, so talking about God is so different and I feel like talking about these specific stories in a way that's more storytelling than like this is what the verse says um it just makes it easier to digest Mm -hmm. because some of those wordings like that's in the bible it's like what what does that actually mean like what yeah absolutely (laughs) and so just saying those verses memorized to people who have never heard anything like that before I feel like that can be like, whoa, what is this? Um, But me describing the story of Mishal and the story of Abigail and the story of Bathsheba in a way that we've done it 
here, people are like, oh, I totally understand this now. Like that she's relatable to my life or and it's just seeing the Bible Mm -hmm. as as a relatable story rather than just text with numbers. Yep, absolutely. So now that you're a part of the Swifty community and you've been analyzing all of these songs very deeply the past few weeks, what is something that you've learned um, in pairing these songs with the sermon or about Taylor Swift? I've learned that the context in which you present things is just about as important as the music itself. Mm. So you can get anyone to love the songs and participate in the songs, no matter how they feel about Taylor Swift, if it's presented in the right way, particularly if they don't know it's Taylor Swift songs ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we could have tricked a lot of people that said they didn't like Taylor Swift because once again, we weren't playing the hits. Yeah. But then also if we would have just said it's some indie artist named indie artist, (laughs) (laughs) um, I think they would have felt even stronger about the songs and felt uh, an even stronger reaction. Yeah. Um, I also understand, you know, she is kind of the representation of the entire music industrial complex, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's nobody bigger than her right now. So if somebody wants to revolt against that, I fully understand that as well. Mm -hmm. But I think that if you present stuff in a thoughtful context, people are willing to go a lot farther than you originally think so. Mm-hmm. Um, and they originally think so as well. And what nobody accused us of was nobody said, well, you didn't really, you didn't really think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody could tell that we really thought about it. Yeah. I heard a lot of comments. These songs lined up so well. Mm-hmm. Um, that takes a lot of effort, particularly from you. Um, a lot of effort from Jeremy also, who is overseeing the songs and making sure people learn it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that just context is everything and how you present stuff in whatever context will change and shape the way you hear music, Yeah, which is a lot like the Bible. Mm. See how I brought that all together? Yeah, that was great. I can't turn the pastor switch off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great answer. Question number five. I don't always have an idea of how the sermon's going to end when I start writing it. Mm-hmm. And Bathsheba, for whatever reason, was really hard for me to figure out an ending for because there's so much tragedy in her story. Yeah. So the solution I came up with was we don't hear how she feels throughout this story at all. Mm-hmm. And what I landed on about 730 in the morning on Saturday was this is initially a tragedy, mm-hmm. but eventually becomes a gift. Because it is a greater invitation into empathy. Mm. Now, this is something I'm not sure I believed before 7.30 on Saturday morning. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't really said it out loud. I wrote it down and it felt right in the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to figure out if I actually believe that or not. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like it was too much of a stretch to say that? Or how has that statement or idea landed with you since mm. we said it on Saturday? Mm. So I think that that topic is a little tough to go around um, because so often Christians say like, oh, this thing that happened to me was really bad, but everyone comforts them by saying that it's all a part of God's plan and everything will work out in the end. And I don't think that that's always Mm -hmm. true, but I do think that there's always something good that can come out of the bad. Mm -hmm. So it's hard 
talking about this kind of topic because it's it's you have to um not lean into that part of you know just brushing off the the grief and the tragedy and you still have to address that but also talking about the hope and I don't think that we stretched it too far um because even though that her situation was a tragedy I think that you know she she has to have some feelings about everything oh yeah there's no way that she's just silent in the corner so I think that the gift is that we can empathize and think about her feelings um because no one will be 100% right in those thoughts and no one will be 100% wrong and I think that it's a very human experience to try and think about ourselves in her shoes and um, even in certain stories in the Bible where we don't exactly relate, like the words don't exactly line up with our lives, there's always this gift of empathy that we can have for those characters in the Bible. Yeah, and I think that line came out of just doing this for three weeks mm-hmm. in a row. I just, how frustrated it's been as, as somebody who's trying to lead a community, like to talk about how um, most of the Bible's written from the male perspective. Yeah. Um, and yet, like this whole exercise and getting to be able to talk to you and to Carla and to Maddie and mm-hmm. to so many different people who are involved with the church, like it started to become a gift in a strange way. Um, because we were all thinking about their feelings for yeah. three weeks straight mm-hmm. and it required us to engage the text, not just receive from the text. Mm. And so I want to figure out the best way to word that because I'm not sure yeah. that was it on Saturday, but these are new things that I'm feeling and people often don't understand that I'm learning a lot while I'm preaching and leading community mm-hmm. because all of a sudden we had all these conversations about their emotions in yeah. discussion groups too. Mm-hmm. Which, if they were just if we were just told what they were, I don't think that it would be as rich of a discussion. Yeah. And so I'm learning how to say that, and I'm learning how to do it. But I I feel like I could have worded it better on Saturday. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like this is something that I'm starting to experience for the first time. So I'm really excited about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this series was very communal, um, in a whole bunch of aspects, but. The fact that we were all discussing and it wasn't just like, oh, you know, I did all this research and this is how I ended up feeling about her in the end. It was more like you brought us along this journey of going through their stories and feeling every step of the way. And it wasn't like a this is how you should feel. It was very natural based on like the story that was being told. Everyone felt a certain way after it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Excellent. All right. Question number five about the Taylor Swift experience. Okay. So if someone really liked this series and asked what's next, what would you say? How would you respond? Well, we're doing this series. It's an introduction to Paradox next Mm -hmm. called Paradox 101. Um, We also have Jen Strickland's perspective on David and Nathan's story, Mm -hmm. which I'm excited to hear this Saturday. Um, but I'm hoping we do this albums and sermons series again. Um, 
a lot of Taylor Swift albums still on the table. <laughs> I don't know if we could go back without there being a riot from the people who are like, okay, I've done enough. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, we're always looking for albums that are about one idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, but for me, I'm just not excited about doing music from like an artist unless it's connected to an album. Mm. There's something about an album that's like a statement Yeah, yeah. that we try to live in. And I hope that that came across. Mm-hmm. Um, but my hope is that we get to do another series like this with uh, more albums soon. Mm-hmm. I think what I've taken away that I'm going to try to do more in the future is do more as much narrative and as much story as possible when I preach. Mm. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that. After Paradox 101, we're doing the series season of Advent, and then we go into our seasonal calendar. But I'm really looking forward to the future and uh, hope that people who have found us because of this will continue to join in and be part of this church. Yeah. Hopefully we'll throw in some more Taylor Swift songs along the way. <laughs> Uh, Jasmine's got a few ideas for that. That's for sure. So, <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening, Jasmine. Thanks for the questions. Yeah. And uh, we will see you next week when we have a surprise guest for you. Woo. All right. Take care.